Sick Boy Wolfgang Productions presents The Offering with Jerry Horror. A deep dive into the history of film and its filmmakers. Mostly horror, always genre. Nose Best Candles is a soy wax candle company owned by two Long Island natives turned Manhattanites. They hand pour small batches of cheeky candles that inspire the euphoric feeling of synesthesia. Each candle pairs an enchanting dual fragrance with a curated Spotify playlist to help you set your mood at home. Not to mention, the names of these candles are a conversation starter themselves. Best sellers include Bitch Goddess, Mountain Daddy, and Send Nudes. Their 2021 limited edition Halloween candle is named OMG I'm Dead. That's my favorite. The perfect scent to burn while enjoying your favorite horror podcast. Enjoy 10% off your candle haul this fall using the code JerryHara10. You can shop on NoseBestCandles.com. Again, 10% off any purchases using JerryHara10. Welcome to The Offering with Jerry Hara, the show where we can have a quiet and frank discussion as adults about the things that matter to me, or at least that I think matter to me. Please take a moment to subscribe to our show wherever you get fine podcasts, and hey, stay up to date on future episodes. This week on The Offering, we're exploring Jennifer's Body, the 2009 cult classic film. Friends beyond the binary, welcome to another episode of The Offering with me, Jerry Hara. How you doing out there, folks? Oh, man, we got a real barn burner today. Woo, it's going to be Jennifer's Body, unrated. Because, yeah, I watched the unrated cut on Blu-ray, and that's how I roll. It's that, it's that type of show, folks. We got to get to some news. But before we get to the news, because there's some hot goss, not really find it on the internet but isn't it more fun to hear me talk about it than some fucking clown who hides in his house you know writing horror stuff Uh, i mean i'm just some guy who hides in his house (laughs) making podcasts so i'm no better uh but i've got personality and that goes a long way yeah so we've got another incredible review another five-star stunner from our friend ian shearer who says The Offering with Jerry Hara has quickly become one of the podcasts that I look forward to almost every week. I like horror movies, but outside of a few franchises, I'm not a hardcore across the board. So not only do I get to relate to some episodes, I get to learn from others. Listen! Exclamation point. So, I mean, if you're listening right now, you already took his, you know, his advice. Ian, thank you so much. It's very kind of you. Folks, without these reviews, you know, we have to grow. And the more that we grow, we're going to be able to bring you all kinds of cool new content. I've got a lot of things up my sleeve. But fortunately or unfortunately, I need your help in order to grow this show and make it bigger and better than what it is now. Like I said, I have a lot of surprises, tricks and treats, if you will, for the new year. 
Stay tuned, folks, because you're not going to want to miss this. Oh, boy. Well, here we go again. Wouldn't you know it, Producer Pete? File this under reboots, remakes, and reimaginings. Yes, folks, it's finally come to fruition. The Lost Boys remake has been cast. We've got a director. I don't care. The kids, I think, one of the kids is in the It movie. The other kid was in I think, The Haunting of Hill House. Who cares? Whatever. It is what it is. Show me a trailer. When the trailer drops, let me know. I'll be there. Okay? But don't get me excited or angry just because some news has dropped. Uh, I believe, I don't want to be like super nerdy here, but it was 86 or 87 the original Lost Boys came out, the Joel Schumacher film. Uh, I enjoy that film quite a bit. I, I grew up with it. It's iconic. I know every line. I love it. Um, it stands, honestly. It's one of my favorites, if not my favorite, next to Fright Night. But some of you are freaking out, and I understand. Look, here's, here's the reality of it, though. I'm on the wrong side of 30, and I remember all of the bad remakes, okay? All of them. Some of them were good. Some of them I love. There are remakes that I absolutely adore, okay? I love Piranha. Uh, it's Alexander Aja. I love The Hills Have Eyes. It's another Alexander Aja. He's awesome. Okay, that's uh, enough of the Aja love for today. There's a lot of good remakes. I enjoy the Friday the 13th, the 2009 remake. I think it's a good one. I don't care. Uh, look, it's going to happen. As my friend Matty P once said, your favorite flavor of bubblegum will come back into fashion. And that is the reality of it. This IP has been sold and resold. I remember, well, first off, the Lost Boys had some shitty sequels. Do you kids not remember those? Oh, yeah. They had like, I think it was Angus Sutherland and he had fangs that didn't fit. Yeah. And Lost Boys, The Thirst. You remember that? We were bringing back uh, Corey Haim before he passed away. Rest in peace as a ghost. And you got fucking 50-year-old Corey Feldman running around. What a disaster. And then they did a third movie, and they're both direct-to-video movies. Um, obviously, they were not very good, and no one gave a shit, okay? Uh, if you want to talk about Warner premiere stuff that worked, Trick or Treat. You know? Trick or Treat, uh, very... It was a movie that was pretty much just thrown on like five theaters screens and then it was essentially thrown to home video and, and streaming whatever existed at that point of streaming and earlier in the in the aughts as they say look get over it okay in 2011 fright night was remade and let me tell you something we got colin farrell okay david tennant was uh doctor who and uh, you know what originally in the original script he was supposed to be a horror host. And they're like, hey, no, we're making a magician like Chris Angel. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, don't you, like, there's certain things you can do. I, like, I get it. Like, oh, we're trying something different. But it was kind of weak. You just should have been a horror host. That was an 11th hour change, by the way. Anton Yelkin for the win, ladies and gentlemen. Dear God, I miss that son of a bitch. He was a great actor. Yeah, Anton Yelkin's in it. You've got David Tennant. You've got Colin Farrell, who's Doing a great job as Jerry the Vampire. 
not Jerry Hara, but Jerry the Vampire, you know, Jerry Dandridge. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't that great because we're not talking about it right now until you guys, <laughs> until the generation prior to you guys starts pining about uh, the 2011 horror films that they miss. The reality of it, folks, is that whatever you dig, it's an intellectual property and it's going to get remade. Every year, Lost Boys brings us in money. If we put out a steelbook, if we put it on television, do they watch it? If we put it on streaming, is it popular? Yes, it is. So buy metrics, buy money, you're going to get another Lost Boys. Originally, they tried to get everybody back, Jason Patrick. They tried to get the whole, the whole gang. And it was going to be called Lost Girls. And it was going to be about their daughters. Which I, I was like, okay, whatever. And that I want to say, I'm going to presuppose that was like the early aughts that that screenplay, it, the Lost Girl screenplay had been in the 90s, okay? They tried many times. After the success of The Craft, they, they were like, oh, we can do the Lost Girls. We a bunch of girls with vampires and vaginas and blah. Look, it is what it is. It's going to get remade. Let's hope they do something new with it because let's face it, they're buying the concept and probably the title, but not much else. Uh, my advice, what I would do, and I'm nobody, but you should listen to me. Okay. Make sure that the movie is here and now do not be nostalgic for the eighties. Do not be nostalgic for the nineties. Make a movie that has today's music, today's fashion. And that's true to the kids who are in the film. One thing is for certain you have to make this Lost Boys completely centered around this generation. Otherwise, don't bother, okay? The reason the original film works is because of the music. It's because of the kids. It's, it's a, I mean, it's a little bit of everything. It's the director, it's the script. But I think that you have to be in touch with youth culture because that's the point of the Lost Boys. They are meant to seduce other people into their clan of vampires or perhaps even enchant others that they'd like to eat or convince to do their bidding because they're fucking vampires. The real vampires are all the Hollywood executives. <laughs> hot take, hot take. Folks, today is all about girl power, okay? Uh, this is a really cool film. It was a movie that kind of flopped, didn't find its audience. Ladies and gentlemen, and our binary friends abroad. This week, for your consideration, Jennifer's Body. Two thousand and nine. This is the death of the age of American Pie. We are coming out of an era in the early 2000s, and even going back to the 1999 when American Pie debuted, the world was a very different place. You had HLA, which was on Monday Night Raw, hot lesbian action. You had Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, pretty much, you know, look, I guess we'll, we'll leave it alone. Let's say The Rock, because Dwayne was a little more responsible for that. Dwayne was calling women hoes. There was the hoe train. We're talking about wrestling now, but it's kind of permeated the greater culture. Um, I think Boogie Nights kind of ushered in the whole like porn chic thing. So porn was very much a part of the vernacular again. Like everybody knew who Jenna Jameson was. The FHM and Maxim, 
you know, like the lad books, they were very much, that was part of the culture. It was like, chicks. you know, you had films like Tom Cats. You had a lot of gross out comedies. Uh, for the most part, though, women were not being treated very well. They weren't being represented correctly in media. And that's a problem. We've started to begin to fix it. This film, Jennifer's Body, I feel was one of the first forward-thinking movies that came out of the studio system. I was not a fan of how this film was marketed. I get it. It's cheeky. It was kind of all marketed as, hey, Megan Fox, she's fucking hot. Even though this is a progressive uh, feminist film that is anti-misogyny, I feel there was a bit of misogyny in the way that they were going to market this film. You know, hindsight being 2020, hey, young boys are going to love Megan Fox. In fact, any hetero man <laughs> with a pulse or woman, anybody, is going to love Megan Fox. She's hot, you know? it's We're 10 years, oh God, believe it or not, as we record this, dear listeners, it is the 12th anniversary of the release of this film. I mean, it's absolutely crazy to think that it's been 12 years but uh, Jennifer's body was just not marketed right. And it's now become a cult favorite. One of the things that I would blame this film not finding its audience, not just the shitty marketing, which I get it. Like you want to get young horny boys to see this movie. I think the tone. This film reminds me more of, more than anything, like Heather's. It's kind of, you know, you have Amanda Seyfried who's in this movie. She's basically what year or two removed from uh, Mean Girls. You know, it's, it's she's coming out of that mold. This film explores what female friendships can be. And that's something that we do not get. We don't see that. I mean, now we do. We're starting to get movies like Booksmart, things that really get into that. But in 2009, this is kind of a new spin on it wait, you know, like we're, we're just seeing two girls who are friends and, and what does that mean? What is that like? Uh, these are dynamics that hadn't really been explored. People could tell you that there is a misogynistic bent to all horror films, but I propose this to you. Horror films are famous for having final girls because generally women are easier to put in jeopardy but we've learned after all these years that women can kick as much ass as anybody else. And nobody supports women and no genre is more forward-thinking and pro-feminist than horror. You and me are going out tonight. Wear something cute, okay? You always do what Jennifer tells you to do. It's just that I like the same things that she likes. Hey, Jennifer. You look really pretty. Why don't you just come by my place? Well, this is random. This isn't really your house, is it? We can play mommy and daddy. No way. We always share your bed when we have slumber parties. Jennifer's evil. I know. No, I mean, she's actually evil. Not high school evil. Chip is looking really cute to me lately. How is he tasting these days? You are never a good friend. You could have anybody that you want. Why Chip? You're killing people. No, I'm killing boys. Are you scared? I thought you only murdered boys. I go both ways. 
I will finish you if I have to. Okay. You can barely finish gym class. So, it's 2009. What's out at the time? What's going on? We've got The Orphan. I like The Orphan. The Friday the 13th remake. I like that. The Collector. Ooh, you know I like that. Halloween 2, the Rob Zombie film, which I love. I absolutely love it. We're going to cover it at some point. It's a fucking masterpiece. It's brutal. Whatever. That's 2009. What am I doing in 2009? I'm getting drunk in a movie theater watching this, trying to impress some female tattoo artist. I lit a cigarette in a theater. Yeah. Nobody even stopped me. It was crazy. Like, literally, we we were watching Jennifer's body. I snuck in some beers, and I was smoking a bowl. And then I was like, oh, man, I really want a cigarette. And I was drinking something somebody gave me. And I smoked a cigarette during Jennifer's body. And I was like, man, I'm cool. Aren't I cool? Don't you want to sleep with me, young lady? And she was like, no. 2009 horror movies. Ooh, The Human Centipede. Remember that one? That's a, that's a fun fucking film. The Stepfather remake. My Bloody Valentine remake, which I like. In 3D, it's dope. Antichrist, Coraline, Daybreakers, Final Destination. The Final Destination. Also, perhaps, a future. Stay tuned. Drag Me to Hell. The Descent. Yo, there's a lot of low-key bangers in 09. Wait, are you ready for this? Um, this is a terrible movie, but I enjoy it. Uh, Sorority Row. Terrible movie. I love it. Dead Snow. I like Dead Snow. Wrong Turn 3. No, that's not good. The second one's good. Joe Lynch. What's going on? What you doing, Joe Lynch? Um, Zombieland. Ooh, that's a banger. Uh, one of the Saw films. I can't even read this. Saw 6. Who cares? Who cares? All right. I, like, I have friends that whatever. The Night of the Demons remake with Edward Furlong and Shannon Elizabeth. Shannon Elizabeth. Ladies and gentlemen, she is such a fucking trivia question waiting to happen. Mega Shark and Giant Octopus. Wreck 2, because we needed it. My favorite movie of 2009. My favorite horror film, House of the Devil, Ty West. Ty, holler at me. I really want to talk to you about movies, specifically the movies you've made. I'm a fan. Get at me. Pull up, motherfucker. Uh, Cropsy. Great documentary. Fantastic. This is kind of the lore behind the film The Burning. Uh, Staten Island, legend. New York reference, number one in the podcast. We, we got our New York reference in. Stan Helsing, uh, Anacondas. Wow. So you've got a lot of high points. I like Zombieland. Zombieland's a good movie, man. I, lo- I love that movie. It's, uh, you know, it, it does it for me. How does this fit in? Well, that's kind of a good question. This is a 20th century Fox film. I believe. Maybe I just made that up. Nope. Did I make that up? Oh, Fox Atomic, which was this weird brand that they had for a while. They're like, this is where we'll put our genre films. Just fucking release it. Because, you know, you know how it goes. They did it. The movies that have prestige, it's a 20th century Fox film. If it's not, it's like Fox Atomic presents. (laughs) Like fucking cardboard in the basement of the place. Uh, This film... Was released September 18th, 2009. Debuted September 10th at TIFF, in case you guys don't know what that is. Toronto International Film Festival. This movie cost $16 million to make. Probably 
Double that with the marketing budget. Maybe $10 million on top of that. Made $31.6 million. Had a really positive screening. That uh, the Toronto International Film Festival, people got it. Different audience. It's a different audience. You, know, you got people who are critics. You got people who watch a lot of fucking movies. Uh, anything that's just a little bit different and exciting gets a huge pop. Jennifer's Body is a 2009 American comedy horror film. Got Diablo Cody, Juno. They also got the same producing partner, aforementioned Jason Reitman, was one of the producers on this film. Directed by Karen Kusama, who has gone on to be a very prolific television director. She's directed one episode of Everything Pretty Good. Uh, she had done, what was that, 2000's Girl Fight, Michelle Rodriguez from the Fast and Furious. She got her start in Girl Fight. Largely the reason she got the part in Fast and Furious was because of Girl Fight. Her raw charisma. So we've got Megan Fox, obviously, in this film. We've got Amanda Seyfried. We've got Johnny Simmons and Adam Brody. So what's the rub on this movie? The rub is very simple. Fox betrays a demonically possessed high school girl who kills her male classmates. That's that's the movie. That's it. She becomes a succubus. Really, that's kind of how this all works is she's a succubus. The title of this film is a reference to the song of the same name, which is, well, you'll know the group, Hole. Courtney Loves Hole. That didn't sound good. Courtney Loves Hole Exploring Jennifer's Body. Okay, I just wanted to get out of my system, folks. I'm sorry. Uh, Live through this. Basically, uh, it's the same name. It's Jennifer's body. Okay. Live through this in case you don't know. Sorry, not everybody's an old fuck. Uh, Live through this is an, an album by Hole. And uh, Jennifer's body is a track off of that album. Uh, Boom Studios produced Jennifer's body graphic novel released as a tie-in in August, which is pretty cool. Always good to have some kind of a graphic novel tie-in. Diablo Cody... Famous, obviously, for working on Juno. Every time I see this girl in an interview, especially, like, I want to say the first five years of her career, she would generally always bring up the stripper thing. Like, everybody likes that story, but I felt like it became, like, her thing. Like, she almost felt like she had to tell her origin story on everything. And you know what? Like, I watched a lot of interviews with Diablo Cody for this film. I mean, I'm a fan. I'm definitely a fan. And um, she's really cool. Like, she's not really out there on social media either. So if anybody is able to find Diablo Cody, tell her that Jerry Haro wants to talk to her. Because I'm curious. I have a lot of questions. I got questions for Ty West. I got questions for Diablo Cody. A lot of questions. So, yeah. She basically said, like, okay, you get to that point in your career when you do something good for the studio, and Juno was that thing. It was an award-winning film that made a lot of money. So she kind of got her blank check from the studio. Like, what do you want to do? You can do anything. I want to do a horror film, okay? That was her first order of business. She grew up one of these kids that, like me, was very influenced by all the horror movies that were on cable, all the horror movies that were on VHS, she used to have a blog called the Pussy Ranch Blog, and that eventually led to her career as an exotic dancer. See, I even know how I'm talking about it. It just becomes like this thing. It's like, it's like the mythology. 
You know, it's a part of the lore. So we have to go, it's, you know, I don't know what we're doing. One thing that you wanted to do after Juno was not just make a horror movie, but make a dark and brooding slasher film. So she sets out and she says, I'm going to write the all, you know, people are like, oh, I'm going to write the all-American novel. She's like, I'm going to write the all-American quintessential slasher film, and it's going to be dark and fucking metal. So she writes it, and like, that's not what it is. And this script mutates eventually into what we know as Jennifer's body, which is largely kind of a comedic film. But it was kind of marketed tongue-in-cheek, but I don't think people really understood. Like, if you enjoyed Daria, this was the movie for you. There's like kind of this weird, cynical sense of humor to the film. It's a very smart film. I I mean, it's cool too. Oh, and you know who else doesn't get enough props in this movie? Uh, J.K. Simmons is in this flick, and he's got this crazy, weird jerry curl thing and a hook for a hand. Yo, shout out to J.K. Simmons. He might be like some... Every scene with him is great. It doesn't even matter what he's doing or what he's saying. It's J.K. Simmons with a weird jerry curl and a hook for a hand. Like, what else do you need to know? Um, The only thing that could top that would be like Paul Giamatti dressed as fucking Captain Crunch. And and hey, it could happen, but he made Napoleon. That's kind of close as we'll get to that. Basically... Diablo Cody has gone on record saying that as a film writer, she is super disorganized. She has no fucking idea. She's just trying to figure it out. She says when she writes for television, she finds it a lot easier because there's pressure and there has to be a consistent through line throughout the story that's being told long form. And that goes more to her strengths. So she basically lets... uh, Jason Reitman, no. She's like, we're doing a horror movie. Now they've got some juice. Let's take a breather. Let's make something that's fun. And for all intents and purposes, Jennifer's body was conceived as something that could be made cheaply and fun. At that point, Megan Fox had obviously, she called Michael Bay Hitler. Steven Spielberg, famed director of Schindler's List, did not like that Nazi comparison. I don't know him, but I could probably tell you Michael Bay is a megalomaniacal asshole just based on everything I've heard about the guy. I'm sure as he's gotten older, he's probably gotten a little bit better. I would hope it's matured with age. We'll be right back with more of The Offering with Jerry Horror. Monster lovers, young and old, living and dead. You can now make it Halloween all year round. The Gooligans are dying for you to check out their creepy comedy horror show now on their YouTube channel. Have you been ravenous for programs that are geared more towards your sick sensibility? Have you been fiending for horror and comedy so fun that it makes you want to scream? Well, dig no further. Episodes of the Gooligans miniseries are available for you to sink your teeth into. And if you don't know about the Gooligans, it's like the monkeys meets the monsters meets Pee Wee's Playhouse. These fun party monsters exist purely to bring on the death of your life sucking normal everyday TV show. The Gooligans follows the adventures of Boris Stein, the monstrous Frankenstein construct, Wolfgang W. Wolfgang the likable lycanthrope, 
and Void, King of the Slow Zombies, joined by a cadre of your favorite cult cretins, including vampires, sea creatures, luchadors, and sexy go-go girls. Check out the full episodes of their mini-series now on the Gooligans YouTube channel, and have a scary good time. You're listening to The Offering with Jerry Hara. Got a question or a story you want to share with me? It might be featured in a future episode. Email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at jerryhara. I'm also on Instagram. You can find me there at jerryhara. Rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and you might find your review in an upcoming episode. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to The Offering. Now back to the show. Transformers 3 Dark Side of the Moon was essentially written for Megan Fox. It was going to be a, a meteor role, and it was it was written for her, but because she called Bay Hitler, Spielberg pretty much blacklisted her. Um, I don't think he's a bad guy, but I think there was a hot minute where it was like, what is she going to do? I mean, she did films like Jonah Hex. Pour out a little liquor for uh, Jonah Hex. And I, look... Parts of me do enjoy Jonah Hex. It's a, it's a bad movie, but I enjoy it. I like the guys who directed it. They made the Crank movies. It is what it is. It's a terrible film. I think that film's only 76 minutes, and there's a reason for it. Look, let's not talk about Jonah. <laughs> Jennifer's Body's a, a pretty good movie. We don't need to bring the stink or stank of uh, Jonah Hex into this. And I love Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin, he's fucking, he's awesome. He's an all-star. But it's like, He's got this melted... It's I like it. I'll watch it. It's stupid. It's one of those movies that, like, if you're drunk and you're about... Okay, there's movies that, you know, they're, they're kind of like hangover movies where you're sitting on the couch and they're on, like, you know, like FX or, like, TNT and you can kind of just take a nap for 20 minutes, maybe make a sandwich, and you're, you're keeping up with it. You know what Nicolas Cage is doing. He's going after uh, something. Something, what is it? The Declaration of... Okay, I'm following it. Yeah, there we go. National treasure, my ass. Uh, They were able... The first choice for a director was um, Karen Kusama. Obviously, Reitman and Cody were fans of Girl Fight. uh, And they said, hey, look, we want to do this film. A lot of the inspiration comes from the film Heather's which is a favorite of mine. It's a seminal film. Winona Ryder, uh, Christian Slater. It's a really good film. If you haven't seen it, go see it. I'm not going to tell you anything. Because sometimes I don't need to go into it. I want you to be surprised. If you haven't seen that film, definitely see it. It's it's a good flick. And it's that, even Heather's was like 87, 88. And that's, that's a very progressive film for that era. Very kind of one of the closest things to... Uh, Something that represented feminism in a positive way that I guess more more punk rock, more, you know, obviously there's murder and shit in that. So it's like, yeah, it's just it's nice to see a different perspective where a woman and another woman can be the leads in a movie and it has nothing to do with some boy, you know, even the whole thing with um uh, Needy, who is Amanda Seyfried's character in this movie, even with the boyfriend angle, it's not, it's only used kind of, it's not like a real thing, you know? But I think what this movie really is about is friendship. 
the relationship here is pretty interesting, okay? You have Needy, who, again, Amanda, and Megan playing Jennifer, because we're <laughs> Jennifer's body. They go, well, first let me preface this. They're friends, and people don't understand why they're friends, because Megan Fox is a cheerleader, and she's so pretty, and Needy is not pretty, and, and that's fine. Needy is smart. She's funny. Uh, definitely one of my favorite protagonists that's been created in a horror movie in the last 20 years because she's genuinely likable. And that you don't get that a lot in horror movies. You don't get people that are like, yeah, I'm really rooting for these people. So even if you watch this movie and you didn't like it, you're rooting for her character, like from the jump. So she's friends with Megan Fox, who is the, the pretty cheerleader. They go and they see a band. And of course, this band is, they're satanic. And there's like, almost like they allude to this whole thing of like, you think that she gets in the van with them and that they're going to rape her. No, they just want to sacrifice her to the devil so they can get famous. I got to be honest with you. That's pretty cool. Okay. You go back to films like trick or treat, not trick or treat, but the trick or treat from the eighties, 1987 with Sammy Kerr, who was the evil rock star who got burned alive and then turns family ties. Skippy, into something. Um, <laughs> that's another one, trick or treat. To look out for that one. That's uh, 87. Mm, tempting, tempting, tempting. So, yeah. Ugh, I was just thinking about trick or treat. That's a good movie. I really like that movie. Yo, shout out. If anybody loves trick or treat as much as I do. Sammy Kerr. Damn. That's a, that's a good movie. Sorry. I, I, I was just having a flashback to that film. And I'm like, I really enjoy that film. Uh, it still hasn't come to Blu-ray, which sucks. When it does, I'll let you guys know. We'll fucking party like it's 1999. So basically, this rock band, they think that by killing a virgin, they're going to get fame and glory and all that good stuff. Well, the problem is, is that Megan Fox kind of lied. And see, I'm not even calling her by her character name. <clears throat> Jennifer died, and uh, essentially she was not a virgin. So she gets possessed by this demon or this succubus and she's going to keep consuming souls. Obviously, she's she's looking to consume male souls. Is that a, that's a movie that needs to be made, male souls. So she's consuming all of these kids, a lot of it to very funny effect. It's some of these I think that was the problem. The trailers and the teasers show that this movie was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but for the most part, kind of sold it that it's going to be a real horror film, and it's not. Horror comedies are hard to sell, so like that tone was definitely off. I really like this film. I just don't feel the need to, like, if we go through it blow by blow, it's kind of not that interesting. I mean, if I was sitting around here with a bunch of other people, I'm sure we could just fangirl out and talk about our favorite moments. But I want to talk about what makes this film work. And a lot of what makes this film work is that there's kind of this wry sense of humor that's maybe even malicious. And I like that. It's kind of a movie that's self-aware of it. You know, like it, it knows what it's doing. It knows what it's saying. It's putting the cliche of the hot girl. And I told you we're still coming out. This is the end of that American Pie era. So it was kind of sad that this whole film gets sold on the man, Megan Fox's hat. Like that's how the whole film would be remembered. 
Yeah, I, I just, I think ultimately we don't see enough of these type of films that are more true to what it's like to grow up, not the bullshit. I mean, look, there was a couple of girls who were just as hot as Megan Fox. I mean, when I was a kid, but the, <laughs> see, I, I, that's the thing is that she's beautiful and it becomes to that point where it's like, she's so beautiful. It's almost distracting. And I say that with with the the utmost uh, sincerity. I mean, even now in present day, you've got Megan Fox. She's doing Expendables 4. There's been this rumor about Poison Ivy. Uh, I think her agent planted the rumor. But if it comes to fruition, I think she's a great choice. I think that this script is very, very smart. It works on a lot of different levels. I just think that this film didn't click with the right audience. And this is why it's important. And I'm speaking to the ladies. It's important to support movies that are made by women for women. You know, you you talk about representation. And I talk about voting with your dollar. So when you have a film that comes out that really is girl power, Okay, it's really a confluence of women who are making this project. You need to support it. You know, we were just talking about this before. Producer Pete, like why The Last Man? It's entirely written by women. It's, you know, directed by women. So that's an, you know, like if you want to empower, truly empower other women, support their art. And that's kind of the problem with this movie. It was sold as this horny teen boys, like, you're going to see up her skirt. It, like, seriously. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm just going to come out and say it. I mean, because fucking Fox is owned by Disney now. It, it, that's done. But this movie is very much just sold on, like, you know, come on. It's, it's dirty. I don't think there were, but there could have easily been Jennifer's Body porn parodies. You know, like, that's definitely one of the things. Oh, one thing that I do love about this movie, too. The effects are done by KNB Effects. Once again, Greg Nicotero. I mean, it's Greg Nicotero from <laughs> KNB Special Effects. They kind of did a hybrid of um, prosthetic makeup uh, as well as CGI. And it's, uh, it's kind of a marriage. And when it works... Some of the stuff is really like, cause she's a succubus, she's a demon. She can do all kinds of, of different things, but they kind of mesh practical gore work with prosthetics, with CGI. And when it works, it really works. But other times some of the CGI can be a little cringe. Yeah. I, I, I think also this becomes one of those things. The film had a lackluster performance. It made $2.8 million on its opening day which is kind of a, a, a soft opening, uh, and then $6.8 million in its opening weekend. Kind of was, it, it's one of these movies that was very polarizing, and believe it or not, it started out at around 34% rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, and as time has gone on, and we look back to kind of, like I said, there's a lot of films that were made you know, just a decade ago like this, that they need critical reappraisal. And Jennifer's Body is definitely one of those examples. The reviews retroactively have gotten better because now through the prism of, you know, like 2018 and the Me Too movement, we're like, whoa, this movie is a lot more fucking progressive than anything that was coming out at the time. I think what happened was it wasn't funny enough 
and it wasn't scary enough. So it kind of became, it was perfectly balanced, but not enough where it was, what is this? And I think sometimes general audiences need very clearly defined things because they're fucking idiots and they need it to be like, okay, is this funny? Okay. Is Bill Hader going to be funny in this new it movie or is he going to fuck around and be all goofy, you know, like Stefan on fucking SNL? I need to know. And that's your, that's your audience. Uh, yeah, that's, that's your audience. They need to know whether Bill Hader is going to act the fool or if he's going to turn in uh, Robin Williams and Goodwill hunting performance. Who the fuck knows? I don't know. I liked it. Chapter two. And like I've said this before, Bill Hader's back really hurts for carrying that fucking movie. Looking at you, James McAvoy. Fucking, ugh. I, I love James McAvoy. You know who the worst actor in It Chapter 2 is? Stephen fucking King. How do you fuck up owning a store? That just tells you how much this guy's had money for too long and done too much cocaine. It's okay. He's interesting. It's weird, though, because now we're at this point with Stephen King where, like, he tweets every day and he's just tweeting all this crazy shit. The other day, he just told a bunch of jokes, kind of like an old man would tell jokes, you know, and I was just like, I see you, Stephen King. I I appreciate what you're doing. You're You're trying. You're doing something. The Positive Reviews had praised this film for its dialogue, obviously Diablo Cody, emotional resonance, and the performances of Megan Fox and the supporting cast. It's funny because this movie now has become a feminist horror film and is also viewed in a lot of circles as a cult classic. I 100% agree that this movie definitely deserves the love that it's finally retroactively getting. I mean, this was the follow-up to Juno, uh, which was you know came out in October 2007. And you talk about taking a swerve left from like what Juno was to this. Some people call that the sophomore slump because the way it performed and everything, it's kind of like the Weezer, the blue album with like Pinkerton. It's like, is it a good album or is it shit? You know, like there's debates. People say like, you know, whatever. And hey, it's your, it's your choice. The blue album is a better album. (laughs) Sorry, folks. It's just, I go back and listen to it more. I love Pinkerton, but that first record is magic. Okay, that's enough. Okay, done. Tapping out of that conversation. You know what? If you had Rick Ocasek from the Cars producing your record, it would be a good record too. He's a fucking genius. Uh, You ever listen to the Cars, kids? Fantastic. Fantastic. Get you some. Get you some Cars records. Get the greatest hits. I don't know. Maybe your mom or dad has it in their car on on a compact disc. Yeah, this film, I got to tell you, Uh, was shot very quickly. They started shooting in late 2007, like December, and then shooting wrapped by March 7th. Uh, It was very interesting. The music that was incorporated into this film were very specific uh, bands placed in band posters, such as the suggestion and selection of the brand poster on the walls of the bar. Um, As the movie progresses... Uh, This is very clearly a musical-oriented film. It's kind of a youth movie. You know, you could say it's a youth... I'd say it's a youth movie. Um, Yeah, some people... Roger Ebert called this film Twilight for Boys. And I... I, (laughs) Saying it was a movie about a flesh-eating cheerleader, and it's better than it has any right to be. And I have to say, 
from Beyond the Grave. Roger Ebert, you're pretty spot on with that, you know? Uh, not the not the Twilight for Boys thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. Constance Grady had reported in Vox that a new critical consensus was forming and appreciated this as a forgotten feminist classic. And we keep hearing that more and more as time goes on. You had, well, the film's soundtrack was by Fueled by Ramen. There's a lot of people on this uh, soundtrack. And there's a lot of people that didn't make it to the soundtrack but were featured in the movie. Florence and the Machine, Silver Spung Pickups, Black Kids, All Time Low, Cobra Starship, Little Boots, Haley Williams from Paramore, and Panic at the Disco themselves. This is a pretty loaded soundtrack, so it definitely captures time and place. And what do I always say about these teen movies? Like I said about Lost Boys, it's about time and place. What kind of records are kids listening to? What's the fashion? What's going on, as Marvin Gaye once said? And it's very important because you can't be nostalgic about a movie like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Quentin Tarantino being nostalgic for that era of film. When you're nostalgic for something you grew up with, like I grew up with the Lost Boys, so I know that time and place. I know when that exists. So it's very important that you see, especially with this soundtrack at that time, that's where music was. Adam Brody's band, Low Shoulder, they've got just enough mascara and wear enough black that they're kind of seen. Could be emo, a little bit. You know, it's kind of. Here's the thing. I don't. I try not to label anything from that era. I was a part of that era. I'm not proud of it. It was kind of that transition where I was going from my 20s to my 30s, and we were all feeling a lot of things, and all of us got very emo. But a lot of the music from that era is pretty darn good. I, I really can't lie. Like I look back at a lot of that stuff, even like My, my Chemical Romance in that era. The music's very good. You know, it holds up. I've listened, I've gone back and I've listened to uh, Panic at the Disco recently. And uh, I dig what they're doing. This movie works on a lot of different levels. I can't highly recommend it enough. You know, like I said, I would sit here and go through all the personal quips that I found witty and cute, but I can't do them justice. To be perfectly honest with you, I should have been doing this episode with a woman. Because this is such a celebration of women, this whole project. Unfortunately, no women were available at press time. So here I am, all by my lonely. I would highly recommend this film. There's not much to go into because, again, kind of a conflict-free film. Um, Everybody that wanted to be there, as far as the special effects team, the writers, the producers, the actors... There's no drama. There's no like, and then Megan Fox told everybody to go fuck themselves. <laughs> There's none of that. K and B, like Greg Nicotero, like they worked with the CGI guys and everybody got along. Like it was one of those type of movies. The only problem with this film is that it didn't perform. And I think a lot of it goes back to the marketing. The marketing just did not work for this film. It was largely sold on Megan Fox's sexuality. And the thought was, we're just going to get horny boys. They'll go see this because they love Megan Fox. And while she is beautiful, she does a great job in this movie. I think in Transformers, she's just kind of being ogled 
by Michael Bay's gaze, and it's just not very pretty. I'm excited. She's been doing a lot of movies, like direct-to-video stuff, action stuff, horror stuff. She's, she's going to be doing other films, and I always, you know, I'm a big fan of Judd Apatow. So I, I think getting to see her, what, This Is 40? She was great in that. You know, I think Megan Fox has a lot more to offer this world other than just being a sex symbol. We've gotten to the point where she's kind of become a very established actress. I like her in those Ninja Turtle movies. Look, some people didn't like them. I enjoyed them. They, I, I got what I wanted, all right? That's all I'm saying. People are like, oh, it's Michael Bay's Ninja Turtles. It is what it is. Believe it or not, folks, Megan Fox... She basically came into the New Girl show when, uh, was it, Zoe Deschanel was pregnant. She kind of took over there for 15 episodes. And people kept saying to themselves, Megan Fox is funny. You know, maybe it was part of the reason that she got this role and got other roles. Uh, Look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you she's fucking Meryl Streep, but she can act. She's not just a pretty face, Michael Bay. Don't put Megan Fox in a corner. Amanda Seyfried, she's done so much, man. She's done so many movies. She's a great actress. I like her in Ted, too, because I have no fucking taste, and I like a movie about a talking teddy bear. Folks, we need you to subscribe to this podcast. We need you to leave reviews. Don't forget to get at me on social media, at Jerry Hara, Instagram, TikTok, The Offering with Jerry Hara on YouTube. Don't forget about YouTube. It's there. Need to share this. Maybe you need to let somebody know. Don't forget, we want to bring you the best, the absolute best we can in new school hot take horror, the way that I do it, the way that I like giving it to you, the deep dives. You know what I do. At Jerry Horror, Instagram, at Jerry Horror, Twitter, redbubble.com. Do not forget the merchandise. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jerry motherfucking horror. And and producer Pete, beep that out. Mostly horror, always genre. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to The Offering. You've been listening to The Offering with Jerry Horror. I'm very sorry. Produced by Pete Bune. If you have a question or story you want to share with me, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit us up at Twitter at jerryhara or on Instagram at jerryhara. You get in the picture? Subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are provided for you and your family. I want you to enjoy. Just join us next time for another offer. I'm Tom. My partner Mike and I have been friends and co-workers for a long time. And at work, we're known for our daily water cooler conversations about TV shows and movies we are currently watching. Whether we're arguing over which Marvel TV show is the best or agreeing about which Netflix original movie is the worst, the pop culture conversation is always popping on Two Brothers at a Water Cooler. You can listen to Two Brothers at a Water Cooler on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are available. Subscribe and share today. This has been a Sick Boy Wolfgang production. Thank you for listening.